Well, good morning. Good to be here today. And some of our beloved are home where it's warm. Shame on them, alright? I know that many of you have nice, warm hearts today because your hands are freezing. I tried to warm mine up. Mine are cold too. Cindy a while ago told me, she said, uh, I look nice today and well-dressed. And uh, uh, the suit I have on, uh, Sunday school class, got for me 20 years ago. And so in 1996. And so I have an old suit on. And uh, I was uh, shopping this uh, year. I was at a department store and... Now, a lady was uh, looking at me and she said, uh, you're about the size of my husband. And I said, uh, well, that's nice. <laughs> and she said, would you mind coming over here and, and trying on some jackets? So I was there in the store and I was modeling and, you know, I, I did this number, you know. And, Didn't get a dime for it, but she ended up buying one I modeled for her, so um, there ought to be a commission in there somewhere, I, I would think. That's right, put it on my resume. I'm a good modeler. Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. We began last Sunday looking at the Gospel of Mark. Remember I told you that God put four historians on the trail of our Lord. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark has for his audience Romans. He is writing to primarily convince Romans that Jesus is the Christ. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 1. Mark says, the beginning of the Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark goes right straight to the Gospel. No wise men, no shepherds, no story of the birth. Mark is concerned with this wonderful thing called the Gospel. The Gospel of the Lord. And then we find that Mark went from that, quoted Isaiah, and then he introduced this wonderful, flaming evangelist named John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist in verse number 4 appeared, showed up in the wilderness. And he was preaching a baptism of repentance. And so, Mark tries to honor John as he points to the Lord. Now, those of us who have walked with the Lord many years know the truth of Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9. So, hold your spot right here. But look at Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. 
Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. And I'm going to let someone read that in just a moment. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Mike Hicks, you got it? I'm sorry, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. All right. Boy, thank the Lord for a wife bailing out her husband over there. <laughs> my ways and my thoughts. You know, God has a way of elevating His thoughts above us. You know, when you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off or someone slams their brakes on in front of you or someone's at, at a traffic light and it's turned green and they're sitting there texting and you know, you just want to honk that horn and shake your fist and yell and scream and shout at them. Well, God's thoughts are not your thoughts. And God's, God's ways surprise us. I, I was driving down the road not too long ago and I had someone in the car with me. So I thought, now I've got to be on my best behavior. So I'm driving, and I'm driving about 20, 25 miles per hour. <laughs> and I got both hands on the wheel, looking straight ahead. And I got to a traffic light, and sure enough, light changed, and the car is still there. So I'm, I'm singing in my heart, you know, there's within my heart a melody. <laughs> Jesus whispers sweet and low. Alright, so I'm there just trying to focus. And then this wonderful man who's riding with me said, Honk your horn at him! Let him have it! He said, if it had been me, I'd have honked a long time ago. My passenger that day was Wendell Eastep. So... No kidding, true story. True story. He said, man, let them have it. Lay into it. Well, God's thoughts and God's ways are not, not ours. Doesn't God surprise us? I mean, can you imagine the virgin birth what a surprise that was for the people of God. Can you imagine the crowd that assembled one day and said, here's a woman caught in adultery in the very act. She deserves to be stoned. And yet the Lord reaches down and says, let the one without sin throw the first rock. Does not God surprise us with His grace, with His forgiveness, and with His love? Well, the beginning of the Lord's public ministry was a surprise. 
It began in a Judean wilderness. It starts with a baptism. It starts with a 40-day testing in the wilderness. Now, if you look over to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2, and so look there just a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. There are three words that you find there. Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is, and here are the three words I want you to get, good and acceptable and perfect. Now if you are a Bible marker, those three words... The will and the ways of God are always good, acceptable, and perfect. God's ways are always best. Even I don't when He cleaned out the temple. That's right. Even when He cleaned out the temple. Again, His ways surprise us, Kirby. They really do. And God has a lot of ways He can skin a cat. He does. Now, what do we learn though from the two beginning events in the Lord's ministry? Focus on these two events today. Number one, there is the baptism. And number two, there is the temptation. And so first of all, the baptism of Jesus was a declaration of sonship. I look back in Mark chapter 1. And we're going to look at 9 through 11 today. And so uh, I want to read verses 9 through 11, just those, those verses. Mark 1, beginning in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately, Coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of heaven, came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Now, in 9 through 11, we find the story of the baptism. Now, a lot of folks were baptized. But there was something unique about the baptism of Jesus. John's ministry was the preaching of repentance. If someone repents of their sin, there ought to be evidence. Would you agree? Amen. There ought to be a marker. There ought to be something in their life that declares they changed. The very first act of obedience of any child of God is to go into the water of baptism and to declare before a congregation that their old life has been buried and they are raised to walk in newness of life. Now, John had this baptism and it is recorded 
the baptism of Jesus in all four Gospels. Why was the very Son of God baptized? Well, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, it says, But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John didn't want to do it. John tried to prevent Jesus from being baptized. But, here's the answer. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time. For in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so, John says, I shouldn't do this. But Jesus says, we are going to fulfill all righteousness. Mark Dever one time said, it is no more odd for Jesus to be baptized in the Jordan River than for Him to hang on the cross at Calvary as the sinless and spotless Son of God. Both were not needed as far as Jesus goes. But both were demanded as far as you and I go. Because we are sinners in need of Calvary, and we are sinners in need of the example of the Jordan River. I remember uh, years ago when I went to Israel, they had a baptism service. Anyone here baptized in the Jordan River in Israel? Anyone? Lynn, okay, others? Naomi? You know, I, I was there and they had a long line of people uh, that were going to be baptized. And uh, we had two preachers in our group and uh, they looked at me and they said, would you like to baptize? I looked at the Jordan River and I said, I don't think so. It's pretty muddy where we were. It's pretty dark. Yeah, and there's fish there too, right? And they bite. Man, it was cold when I was there too. But I, I watched people as they went into the water and declared their faith. And I could picture in my mind the Lord Jesus Christ walking into that water. Now, I'm going to try to, to make this not dull, but I want to teach you today. I want to teach on seven things that the baptism of Jesus shows us. Alright, seven different things. I've got these in your notes. Number one, it began His public ministry. In chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Jesus came from Nazareth. Nazareth was a nothing, a nowhere of a place. It, it, it was out in the middle of nowhere. Nazareth was a place where nobody came from that was important. And so Jesus comes from this nowhere place to begin His public 
ministry. Number two, it identified Christ with sinful humanity. Now, again, chapter 1, verse 9. It says that He was baptized by John in the Jordan. How many folks were there that day, that day to be baptized? Well, we're not sure. But can you picture this in your mind? Here is the very Son of God who is pure and spotless and sinless and He stands in the middle of the crowd. Can you picture the Lord today? Standing in the middle of a crowd of sinners. He is not ashamed to be identified with us. He stands by my side. Oh, I love the old Gospel hymn that He walks with us and He talks with us and He tells me I am His own. Oh, He stands in the crowd with sinners. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Here is the one that knew no sin. Here is the one that would walk on water. Here is the one that when He had to pay taxes, He said, go find a fish and pull a coin out of its mouth. Here is the one that walked out of the grave on the third day. And yet that one without sin went through the waters of baptism to identify with you and I. Alright, number three. Well, it's good preaching ground, isn't it? Alright, number three. It associated Him with John's ministry. Now, John the Baptist... No one had higher praise than John the Baptist from the Lord. Jesus would one time say, there's not a greater man who's ever lived than John. And so, Jesus authenticated the ministry of John the Baptist. Alright, number four. It demonstrated His approval by His Father. Now, Look at verse number 10. Immediately. Remember last week I told you that Mark's Gospel is the shortest but the fastest moving. The word immediately you find 42 times in the Gospel of Mark. Now listen to this. 42 times the word immediately is found in Mark. It is found only 12 more times in the whole New Testament. 42 times in Mark. Only 12 times in the rest of the whole New Testament. And so this word immediately, fast moving. You know again, down verse number 12, immediately. Verse number 20, immediately. Verse 29, immediately. You find that word all through the Gospel of Mark. That's why I love this Gospel. Man, He doesn't dilly-dally around. He says He went there, and He went there, and it is a fast 
moving gospel. But it does demonstrate the approval of His Father. Verse number 10 says, coming up out of the water. Boy, don't Baptists love that? Coming up out of the water. Man, you can't come up unless you go under the water. He saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon Him. Let me expound that verse a little bit. The phrase, the heavens opening, literally means the heavens were torn apart. They were rent in two. They were ripped open. I want you to find this verse. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 1. I hold your spot here, but Isaiah 64 1. Isaiah 64 1. I got it. <laughs> Mike, would you like to read that for us? <laughs> oh, that you would rid the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Yeah, oh, that you would rip open the heavens, tear them apart, and come down. That's exactly what God did here in this verse. And so, verse number 10 declares that, that these heavens were ripped open and the Spirit of God descended like a dove. When you think about a dove, what do you think about? Peace. Purity. When the Holy Spirit came and rested here on Jesus. He came like a dove. Now listen to this. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came on the people of God there, how did He come? Fire! Spirit came down and they spoke with tongues of fire. reason why is because we need the fire of God's purging on our lives. He did not. Came like, like a dove. Alright, let me move on. Number five. Number five. The baptism also revealed the triune God. Now, Adrian Rogers, the great preacher, one time said, the doctrine of the Trinity is not beyond logic and reason just above it. In the baptism of Jesus, you find all three members of the Trinity. Listen to it. The Son is baptized. Verse 9. The Father speaks. Verse 11. The Spirit descends. Verse 10. All three members of the Trinity show up in the baptism. Alright, number 6. Moving on. The baptism also shows us the total dependence of Jesus on the Holy Spirit. You know, the presence of the Holy Spirit is seen in the Old Testament. But I know in my life there are times that I'm asked to do something 
And something down inside my heart says, don't do it. There are times in my life when I have made a mistake and I couldn't sleep, I couldn't deal with it, and so I had to make it right before I'd have any rest. Let me tell you a quick story. My wife, uh, she's going to kill me for telling this, but she, she ran through a series of months there where she had a couple of two or three or four or five or six traffic accidents. I, I don't know how many it was, but uh, not all her fault, okay? People just kept trying to play tag with her car. And so uh, one time we, uh, we went to a car rental place. And uh, anyone here in the car rental Okay, good, good. I can tell this story then. All right. Don't want to offend anyone. I went to this car rental place and um, and I walked in there and um, and you know I said, hey, my wife's had an accident. You know, it's the other person's fault. They're going to pay for the car and here's the claim number and all this and and so. Uh, she said, you know, what, what kind of insurance do you have? Well, I said, I've got insurance, but you know, the other person, it's their fault, and, and so they're going to pay for the car. And she said, well, would you come outside and sit in the vehicle? I said, okay. Well, I thought, well, I've never done that before. But anyway, so I went outside, and I sat in the vehicle, and she said, uh, would you sit in the passenger side? And I said, okay. I thought, man, she's going to give me a driving lesson. <laughs> so I sat there, you know, and so she got in the car and, and she said, now let me tell you what can happen to you if you wreck this car. And she went through all this spiel trying to get me to take all this additional coverage. I said, honey, I just want the car. Just give me the keys. And so after she went through another spiel, another lecture, and I thought, I thought, Lord, I'm, I'm a pretty humble guy, but you know, here's a 20-year-old kid lecturing me on how to drive. I said, man, I've got corns on my toes older than her. So anyway, I, I finally got the keys from her and drove to the apartment and I, I got upstairs and, and I looked at Pam and I said, uh, I told Pam about the experience and then I, I don't know, something inside my heart said, uh, said, boy, it said, Richard, I want you to take that car back. I said, uh, Lord, you want me to do what? And I mean as clear as I'm talking right now, the Holy Spirit of God said, what that young lady did wasn't right. And you drive that car back in there and you lay those keys down and say, the Holy Spirit of God has instructed me to drive this car back and give you the keys. Glory to God, hallelujah, amen. Alright? So I did exactly that and told her that. And her mouth is probably still hanging open. 
I told her that and she said, say what? And I said, the Holy Spirit of God has told me that I don't need this car. <coughs> I went somewhere else and rented a car from someone that didn't give me a lecture. And I, I am convinced of this. I don't care if it's renting a car. I don't care if it's buying a house. I don't care if it's buying a suit. I don't care if it's marrying someone. You better make sure that down deep in your heart you can live with it. Because a lot of folks miss God's perfect will by 18 inches. From here to here. It may be right up here, but brother and sister, if it ain't right in the heart, it ain't right. Without the calling of the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. Amen. And that's what Jesus declares to you and I. There has got to be the total dependence on the Spirit of God in our lives. His baptism declares that. John Piper, the great commentator, one time said when Jesus was baptized, along with all the repenting people who wanted to be on God's side, it was as though the commander-in-chief had come to the front lines, fastened his bayonet, strapped on his helmet, and jumped into the trench along with all of us. Oh, I love that. Alright, here's number seven. Number seven. The baptism declared the type of Messiah that Jesus would be. Now, look here again at verse 11. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved Son in you. And here's the phrase. I am well pleased. Jesus would be the Messiah that would always please the Father God. I like verse number 11 in the Message Bible. Mark 1.11 in the Message Bible reads like this. Along with the Spirit of voice, you are My Son, chosen and marked by My love, pride of My life. Pride of My life. That's what Jesus was to the Father. Now, when you look at verse 11, God rips heaven open and shouts down this wonderful statement about Jesus. And I want to tell you, God is so smitten. Now stay with me on this. This will be good. God is so smitten. God is so taken with His Son and loves Him so much that the only people who will get into heaven and spend eternity with God are people that look just like Jesus. Colossians 1.27 Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's why when people see Jesus in me, man, God up there says, pride of my life! I'm well pleased. So, the baptism declares His Sonship. Alright. Well, quite obviously, we're not going to take as much time on the next one, alright? 
Number two, let's look at the temptation of Jesus. It was a declaration of war. You find in verses 12 and 13, let me read those. Immediately the Spirit impelled Him to go out into the wilderness. And He was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And He was with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to Him. Very quickly, you find that right after this glorious, wonderful baptism, Jesus is, my translation says, impelled. He is pushed by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. One application here. There are times in your life when you'll go through a trial and you'll go through a testing time. And it's not Satan who will lead you there. It's the Spirit of God. And that's odd for a lot of people to realize. But there are times that God wants to test our faith and our lives. There are times that you and I go through the fiery ordeal. And God just wants us stronger because of that. The Spirit of God led the Lord into the wilderness. The battle begins. Mark gives us a very, very brief description of this wilderness experience. The battle begins here, but ends at a Roman cross. Two things about this temptation. In it, Jesus was submissive to the Spirit. You find that the same Spirit that said, this is the Son that lied upon Him, drove Him, compelled Him to the wilderness. Number two, Jesus was engaged by Satan. Verse number 13 is an interesting verse. It says, He was in the wilderness 40 days. Now, Matthew chapter 4 has a longer description of the temptation. And you might know that very well about, you know, command the rocks to become bread, cast yourself down from the temple, bow down and worship me. Those are found in Matthew 4. Mark, again, because he's fast moving, Mark just simply says, he went through 40 days being tempted. I do believe that there were more than three temptations. I do believe there were many temptations during that 40-day time. But, you find that during that 40 days, Mark mentions two very profound things. He was with the wild beasts. And angels ministered to him. Why in the world would Mark mention the wild beasts? Let me speculate. I love to do this. Jesus can be around something very, very wild and it can become very, very tame. Does not the Bible say in the Old Testament that the lion will lay down with the lamb? 
And also you find that angels ministered to Him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. We're not going to look at that verse. You can look at it later. But that verse declares that Jesus was victorious, triumphant. In baptism, His sonship is declared. Let me close, because we're out of time. Let me close with one quote from Danny Aiken at Southeastern Seminary. Danny Aiken said, God's will is not always safe, but God's will is always best. There are times that the people of God find themselves in a very hard, dangerous place. Not always comfortable, not always safe, but always best. Aren't you glad for that? Let me pray for us. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Lord, uh, these two wonderful events, a baptism, a testing time, Show us that Jesus is the only way to You. Lord, I'm grateful today for the example of Christ and His baptism, and I'm grateful for the victorious path that Jesus has laid out for us. Victory over Satan. Lord, that was accomplished most of all at Your cross. Father, today may we live for You. May Christ be seen in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great day.